Shalom Aleichem on behalf of Teach 613, we welcome you to take 10 for Talmud. Babakama Kuf Yud Aleph, Babakama 111a, pagination is 221. We'll be starting on the facing page, seven lines up, Amar Abaye, an explanation on the Mishnah and a fascinating question and ramification. The Mishnah on Amar Aleph was discussing the case of Gezel Hager. A person stole money from a convert, a person who has no inheritors, and he denied that he stole it, he swore to that effect. Turns out he really did steal, but by the time he wants to make amends, the ger has already passed away. If it would be a regular person in the Jewish people, there would be inheritors, and you would pay the money to the inheritors. In this case, the ger did not have children, did not have relatives, and we're at a loss, logically, how to get atonement. The Posuk in Parshas Naso steps in in this case and guides us and tells us that the money goes to the Kohanim and an atonement offering is brought as well. The Mishnah continued and said, what happened if the person gave the money to the Kohanim because the story occurred, stole from a ger, denied it, swore to that effect, the ger was nifter. Now he wants to do tshuva, he gives the money to the Kohanim and he did not have a chance to bring the atonement offering. Mishnah says, the money remains with the Kohanim And, as we explained in the previous session, he cannot claim, the children cannot claim, that they want their father's money back, they want it as an inheritance, because it never accomplished what it was meant to accomplish anyway. I didn't get a good deal, they could argue. Giving the money does achieve a partial atonement, and that's why they can't expect the money back. But if it would be true that there was no atonement achieved from this money, meaning you got a defective deal. I gave the money. I didn't get what I'm supposed to get in return. Perhaps the money would indeed return to the inheritors because they would argue on their father's behalf that he didn't get what he paid for. He didn't get his atonement. So we want the money. I never gave you the money with intent that I shouldn't get anything in return. And therefore, they would be able to undo the deal. Kamash Malon comes along the Pasuk, comes along Abaya to explain. Kesef Mechaper Mechza, the money remains by the Kohanim because a partial atonement was achieved. On this concept of Abaye, that it has to be that the money achieved partial atonement, because otherwise a person can claim, I didn't get a good deal. I gave you the money. I didn't get what I wanted in return. The Gemara poses a fascinating question. One line up from the bottom. Elamayato. If that's all true, a woman who was married 
to a man who died without children. And she is now the status of Yibum, and she is eligible, she falls, in the words of the Gemara, into the hands of a person who's afflicted with boils, someone who's ugly to her. Remember the case of Yibum, that the brother of the deceased is supposed to marry this woman or perform chalitza, but eligible to do yibum, and now she ends up in the hands of, on deck, for a person that's universally recognized as not pleasant. We could see where she's very troubled by this. Tepuk below chalitza. Perhaps she should be able to annul the marriage. Because she never would have agreed to the Kiddushan had she known that it would end up like this. The Gemara answers, On the contrary, we know that a woman would want to get married. And she did the marriage and intended the marriage. And the fact that perhaps she'll fall into the hands of this brother wasn't on her mind and doesn't annul the marriage. Kiresh Lakish, as Reish Lakish taught us, Tav Lemesev Tandu Melemesev Armalu, she would rather have the marriage than to be alone. And the Gemara rejects this claim that she could question the original marriage because it resulted in her falling to in our time, generally, we do chalitza anyway. We release her from this potential marriage. But the concept remains. What happens, number one, if a Yavama ends up in a situation where, let's say, the Yavam doesn't want to cooperate and give her chalitza? So, she would theoretically have been able to claim I never wanted the marriage in the first place if this is the way it's going to turn out. And the Gemara rejects that claim. You did want the marriage, and the marriage stands. We could follow up with questioning. What would happen if someone would actually make an actual purposeful condition in the marriage that should it result in a certain development the marriage should never have been effective to begin with. A tenai, a conditional marriage. So we find in Evana Ezer, Kufnun Zayin Seif Dalid, a consideration regarding Gibum. Hamikadish Isha, a man is marrying a woman, Vyeshlo Ach Mumar, and he has a brother who he feels will not cooperate with Chalitza should it ever be needed. It could be that he's overseas, it could be he's not religious. The Ramos says in this very unusual case, where they're marrying um, isolated, specific invoking of this rule, the Ramos suggests that you could do it the 
husband, for example, is fearful that he won't have children, the wife is older perhaps, they're concerned that she's going to end up in a situation needing chalitza, he would have to make a diligent tenai, tenai kafel, exactly according to the laws of conditions, that if she falls in front of the mumer, it should never have been a kiddushin to begin with. Keep in mind, that would mean that they were never married, they were living together as man and woman fooling around. But I guess that's better than her getting stuck in this case um, as effectively an aguna waiting for chalitza from a brother who won't cooperate. This idea has been explored in many forums as a possibility to avoid the aguna situation. Maybe it's been suggested every single marriage should be done on a condition, for example, that if the husband doesn't give a get after the Besden says he has to, then the entire marriage should be annulled from the beginning through this condition. And one can see right away there's a bit of a problem in that extrapolation because that would mean all marriages, not just the shasadchak, the unusual case where an older man is marrying an older woman and they're afraid they're not going to have children together and if he predeceases her, she'll be stuck. It's a very isolated case that the Rabbanim would step in and make sure the condition is done properly. If you do all marriage on condition, so all marriages on condition undoubtedly would mean that sometimes the condition would not be done correctly and they'll think they're not married and really they are. And besides, that means every marriage, the bond of marriage, the entire concept of being loyal to a spouse would be put into question because everything is conditional. Who knows what will be? And that's really an absurd place to put the Jewish community on conditional marriages. Also, a number of specific objections have been raised among them if man and woman live together as husband and wife with intimacy, there's good reason to argue, based on source material, that that living together itself is a bitl on the Tanai. It destroys the condition. He's basically saying the condition was lip service, but really, we're married. Viharaya, the greatest proof, is I'm willing to live with you. Uh, he wouldn't be living with her on condition. He's living with her because he believes it's a good marriage and they are both forgiving the condition. And therefore, even though this concept of conditional marriage or arguing against a marriage afterwards is entertained, but it's not a process that is actually considered on a practical level. Yeshe thank you for joining.